Section thirty six, part two of Chapter nine of the Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Commentaries on the Laws of England by William Blexton. Book one, Chapter nine, part two. The next species of subordinate magistrates, whom I am to consider, are justices of the peace, the principal of whom is the Custos Rutilorum, or keeper of the records of the county. The common law hath ever a special care in regard for the conservation of the peace, for peace is the very end and foundation of civil society. And therefore, before the present constitution of justices was invented, there were peculiar officers appointed by the common law for the maintenance of the public peace. Of these some had, and still have, this power annexed to other offices which they hold, others had it merely by itself, and were thence named custodes, or conservatores pacis. Those that were so viture officii still continue, but the latter sort are superseded by the modern justices. The king's majesty is, by his office and dignity royal, the principal conservator of the peace within all his dominions, and may give authority to any other to see the peace kept, and to punish such as break it. Hence it is usually called a king's peace. The Lord Chancellor or Keeper, the Lord Treasurer, the Lord High Steward of England, the Lord Marshal, the Lord High Constable of England, when any such officers are in being, and all the Justices of the King's Court Bench, by virtue of their offices, and the Master of the Rolls, by prescription, are general conservators of the peace throughout the whole kingdom, and may commit all breakers of it, or bind them in recognizances to keep it. The other judges are only so in their own courts. The Coroner is also a conservator of the peace within his own county as is also the sheriff, and both of them may make a recognizance or security for the peace. Constables, thingmen, and the like are also conservators of the peace within their own jurisdictions, and may apprehend all breakers of the peace, and commit them till they find sureties for their keeping it. Those that were, without any office, simply and merely conservators of the peace, were chosen by the freeholders in full county court before the sheriff, the writ for their election, directing them to be chosen, de probioribus e melioribus in comitato suo in custodes pacis. But when Queen Isabel, the wife of Edward the Second, had contrived to depose her husband by a forced resignation of the crown, and set up his son Edward the Third in his place, this being a thing then without example in England, it was feared would much alarm the people, especially as the old king was living, though hurried about from castle to castle, till at last he met with an untimely death. To prevent, therefore, any risings or other disturbance of the peace, the new king sent writs to all the sheriffs in England, the form of which is preserved by Thomas Walsingham, giving a plausible account of the manner of his obtaining the crown, to wit, that it was done ipsius patris beneplacito, and withal commanding each sheriff that the peace be kept throughout his ballywig, on pain and peril of disinheritance and loss of life and limb. And in a few weeks after the date of these writs, it was ordained in Parliament, that for the better maintaining and keeping of the peace in every county, good men and lawful, which were no maintainers of evil, or bearers in the county, should be assigned to keep the peace. And in this manner, and upon this occasion, was the election of the conservators of the peace taken from the people, and given to the king, this assignment being construed to be by the king's commission. But still they were called only conservators, wardens, or keepers of the peace, till the statute 34 Edward III C. 1 gave them the power of trying felonies, and then they acquired the more honourable appellation of justices. These justices are appointed by the king's special commission under the great seal, the form of which was settled by the judges A.D. 1590. 
This appoints them all, jointly and severally, to keep the peace, and any two or more of them to inquire of and determine felonies, and other misdemeanors, in which number some particular justices, or one of them, are directed to be always included, and no business to be done without their presence, the words of the commission running thus, Quorum aliquem vestrum, A, B, C, D, etc., unum esse volumus, whence the persons so named are usually called justices of the quorum, and formerly it was customary to appoint only a select number of justices, eminent for their skill and discretion, to be of the quorum. But now the practice is to the advance of almost all of them to that dignity, naming them all over again in the quorum clause, except perhaps only some one inconsiderable person for the sake of propriety, and no exception is now allowable for not expressing in the form of warrants, etc., that the justice who issued them is of the quorum." Touching the number and qualifications of these justices, it was ordained by statute 18 Edward III c. 2, that two or three of the best reputation in each county shall be assigned to be keepers of the peace. But these being found rather too few for that purpose, it was provided by statute 34 Edward III c. 1, that one lord, and three or four of the most worthy men in the county, with some learned in the law, shall be made justices in every county, but afterwards the number of justices, through the ambition of private persons, became so large, that it was thought necessary, by statute 12 Richard II c. 10, and 14 Richard II c. 11, to restrain them at first to six, and afterwards to eight only. But this rule is now disregarded, and the cause seems to be, as Lambard observed long ago, that the growing number of statute laws, committed from time to time to the charge of justices of the peace, have occasioned also, and very reasonably, their increase to a larger number. And, as to their qualifications, the statutes just cited direct them to be of the best reputation, and most worthy men in the county, and the statute 13 Richard II c. 10 orders them to be of the most sufficient knights, esquires, and gentlemen of the law. Also, by statute 2nd Henry V, statute 1 c. 4, and statute 2 c. 1, they must be resident in their several counties and because contrary to these statutes men of small substance had crept into the commission whose poverty made them both covetous and contemptible it was enacted by statute eighteenth henry the sixth c eleven that no justice should be put in commission if he had not lands to the value of twenty pounds per annum and the rate of money being so greatly altered since that time, it is now enacted by statute 5th George the Second c. 11, that every justice, except as therein accepted, shall have one hundred pounds per annum clear of all deductions, and if he acts without such qualification he shall forfeit one hundred pounds, which is almost an equivalent to the twenty pounds per annum required in Henry the Sixth's time, and of this qualification the justice must now make oath. Also it is provided by the Act five George the second that no practising attorney, solicitor, or proctor shall be capable of acting as justice of the peace. As the office of these justices is conferred by the king, so it subsists only during his pleasure, and is determinable one by the demise of the crown, that is, in six months after, two by express writ under the great seal discharging any particular person from being any longer justice, three by superseding the commission by writ of supersedas, which suspends the power of all the justices, but does not totally destroy it, seeing it may be revived again by another writ, called a prosendendo. 4. By a new commission, which virtually, though silently, discharges all the former justices that are not included therein, for two commissions cannot subsist at once. 
5. By a session of the office of sheriff or coroner. Formerly it was thought that if a man was named in any commission of the peace, and had afterwards a new dignity conferred upon him, that this determined his office, he no longer answering the description of the commission. But now it is provided, that notwithstanding a new title of dignity, the justice on whom it is conferred shall still continue a justice. The power, office, and duty of a justice of the peace depend on his commission, and on the several statutes which have created objects of his jurisdiction. His commission, first, empowers him singly to conserve the peace, and thereby gives him all the power of the ancient conservators of the common law, in suppressing riots and affrays, in taking securities for the peace, and in apprehending and committing felons and other inferior criminals. It also empowers any two or more of them to hear and determine all felonies and other offences, which is the ground of their jurisdiction at sessions, of which more will be said in its proper place. And as to the powers given to one, two, or more justices by the several statutes, that from time to time have heaped upon them such an infinite variety of business, that few care to undertake, and fewer understand, the office, they are such and of so great importance to the public, that the country is greatly obliged to any worthy magistrate, that without sinister views of his own will engage in this troublesome service. And therefore, if a well-meaning justice makes any undesigned slip in his practice, great lenity and indulgence is shown to him in the courts of law, and there are many statutes meant to protect him in the upright discharge of his office, which among other privileges prohibit such justices from being sued for any oversights without notice beforehand, and stop all suits begun on tender made of sufficient amends. But, on the other hand, any malicious or tyrannical abuse of their office is sure to be severely punished, and all persons who recover a verdict against a justice for any willful or malicious injury are entitled to double costs. It is impossible upon our present plan to enter minutely into the particulars of the accumulated authority thus committed to the charge of these magistrates. I must therefore refer myself at present to such subsequent parts of these commentaries as will in their turns comprise almost every object of the justice's jurisdiction, and in the meantime recommend to the student the perusal of Mr. Lombard's Arenarca and Dr. Burns's Justice of the Peace, wherein he will find everything relative to his subject, both in ancient and modern practice, collected with great care and accuracy, and disposed in a most clear and judicious method. I shall next consider some offices of lower rank than those which have gone before, and of more confined jurisdiction, but still such as are universally in use throughout every part of the kingdom. Fourthly, then, of the constable. The word constable is frequently said to be derived from the Saxon, Koningstapel, and to signify the support of the king. But, as we borrowed the name as well as the office of constable from the French, I am rather inclined to deduce it, with Sir H. Spellman and Dr. Cowell, from that language, wherein it is plainly derived from the Latin commis stabuli, an officer well known in the empire, so called because, like the great constable of France, as well as the Lord High Constable of England, he was to regulate all matters of chivalry, tilts, tournaments, and feats of arms, which were performed on horseback. This great office of Lord High Constable hath been disused in England, except only on great and solemn occasions, as the King's coronation and the like, ever since the attainder of Stafford, Duke of Buckingham, under King Henry the Eighth, as in France it was suppressed about a century after by edict of Louis the Thirteenth, But from his office, says Lombard, this lower constableship was at first drawn and fetched, and is, as it were, a very finger of that hand. For the statute of Westminster, which first appoints them, directs that, for the better keeping of the peace, 
two constables in every hundred and franchise shall inspect all matters relating to arms and armor. Constables are of two sorts, high constables and petty constables. The former were first ordained by the statute of Winchester, as before mentioned, and are appointed at the court leets of the franchise or hundred over which they preside, or in default of that, by the justices at their quarter sessions, and are removable by the same authority that appoints them. The petty constables are inferior officers in every town and parish, subordinate to the high constable of the hundred, first instituted about the reign of Edward III. These petty constables have two offices united in them, the one ancient, the other modern. Their ancient office is that of headborough, tithingmen, or boarsholder, of whom we formerly spoke, and who are as ancient as the time of King Alfred. Their more modern office is that of constable merely, which was appointed, as was observed, so lately as the reign of Edward III, in order to assist the high constable. And in general the ancient headboroughs, tithingmen, and boarsholders were made use of to serve as petty constables, though not so generally, but that in many places they still continue distinct officers from the constable. They are all chosen by the jury at the court leet, or if no court leet be held, they are appointed by two justices of the peace. The general duty of all constables, both high and petty, as well as of the other officers, is to keep the king's peace in their several districts, and to that purpose they are armed with very large powers, of arresting and imprisoning, of breaking open houses and the like, of the extent of which powers, considering what manner of men are for the most part put upon these offices, it is perhaps very well that they are generally kept in ignorance. One of their principal duties, arising from the statute of Winchester, which appoints them, is to keep watch and ward in their respective jurisdictions. Ward, guard, or custodia is chiefly intended of the daytime, in order to apprehend rioters and robbers on the highways, the manner of doing which is left to the discretion of the justices of the peace and the constable. The hundred being, however, answerable for all robberies committed therein, by daylight, for having kept negligent guard. Watch is properly applicable to the night only, being called among our Teutonic ancestors Wacht or Wachta, and it begins at the time when ward ends, and ends when that begins, for by the statute of Winchester, in walled towns the gates shall be closed from sunsetting to sunrising, and watch shall be kept in every borough and town, especially in the summer season, to apprehend all rogues, vagabonds, and night-walkers, and make them give account of themselves. The constable may appoint watchmen at his discretion, regulated by the custom of the place, and these, being his deputies, have for the time being the authority of their principal. But with regard to the infinite number of other minute duties that are laid upon constables by a diversity of statutes, I must again refer to Mr. Lombard and Dr. Byrne, in whose compilations may be also seen what duties belong to the constable or tithing man indifferently, and what to the constable only, for the constable may do whatever the tithing man may, but it does not hold e converso, for the tithing man has not an equal power with the constable. End of section thirty six.